All right, is this thing on? I guess so. Well, hi guys, my name's Tom Mills. I'm the single dad with nine kids. You see running around here chasing a big flock all the time, so probably not even near as funny or as interesting as Pastor Dan is, but I'll see if I can do my best to keep you guys kind of entertained, so let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time and for this wonderful group of people that we have, and um, please keep this white stuff from people, making people cold and causing accidents. I pray you keep us safe and, and warm, and uh, we just pray that, thank you, that you are the God who was and is and is to come, and as we learn about all these false and long bypass gods, that we remember that you're the one that endures to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Okay, so he asked me to talk about uh, the ancient Egyptian gods in religion, which is the ones you hear about from the Bible, you know, which is really fun. Um, But what people don't realize a lot of times is we don't know, almost knew nothing about Egypt for most of its existence. So from like 6,000 BC to about 3,500 BC, there's not a single written word that exists from Egypt's time during that time. And then after that, we have all the written words you've seen on TV and movies with the hieroglyphics and all the pictures and all that stuff, but nobody could read them. It was lost in about fourth century, and then for about 1,500 years, not a single person could read a single word of Egyptian until the 19th century. So it was pretty late. Anybody know uh, what, what happened that made us be able to change what we could read in ancient Egyptian? Anybody ever heard of the Rosetta Stone? Yep, that's, that's what actually was found. Up to that point, they actually thought that Egyptians probably didn't actually speak with an alphabet. They just kind of drew a picture of a bird and it meant freedom and life and all the, the kind of an idea of things rather than a real hard-coded language. And then when they found this, the uh, Rosetta Stone, which is really just a, a message about taxes and how great the taxes were and for the, the leader that day, but it was written in... Uh, hieroglyphics, which you guys have probably heard of with all the pictures of the, ant- the birds and the you know, bees and all types of things. And, and then they had a, a language called demotic underneath it, which is another type of Egyptian, which really was the same. It said the same things, but it was, they had no idea those languages were even related. And then the very bottom one, of course, was Greek, when we knew Greek backwards and forwards. So because of that stone, the whole thing was unlocked. And that wasn't until 1800 that that happened. And up until that point, nobody knew anything about Egyptian. And so, um, parchment, yeah. They did, it just was, it just went out of, uh, of use. So by, by the fourth century, there was almost nobody that still knew it at all. They did people that knew it kind of died out. The historians maybe knew it. Uh, no, they just disappeared. We didn't, we didn't have, they didn't have a lot of the ancient Egyptian Writings, they, 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 weren't, they weren't there. The people that spoke it, they went on to a different language. You know, Egypt was obviously still there, but the, the, the language that they spoke, um, it's, it's more modern. They spoke, it mostly turned to Greek as they continued on. Greek became a pretty primary language uh, right around Jesus' time, actually, and then continuing after. But. So um, papyruses and parchments and scrolls, they were almost garage sale relics because they were kind of a cool piece of history, but nobody really knew what they said. It was right about this time, you guys know who Joseph Smith is, who started the Mormon religion, 
And he, if you know the story, he actually was, he said that God showed him a place where there are these golden plates that had on it uh, a type of Egyptian he called Reformed Egyptian. And he knew how to translate it because God told him how to translate it. And so that happened about 1835. So that was right after the Rosetta Stone was found, but still nobody could really translate the Rosetta Stone yet. So um, what's a, a kind of a funny story is he actually came in to purchase a bunch of um, papyruses and scrolls and parchments that the people that were selling them, it was to benefit uh, someone who had passed away for their estate. And they, he had told them that it's possible that these circulated during the times of Abraham and Jacob. And so he, of course, being a self-proclaimed expert of Egyptology, which again, nobody on earth could have read it at that point. No, not a single soul. And so he showed up and said, well, I, I, I translated these golden plates, so give it to me, I, I'll translate it. And, and he did, and I actually have a really fun little picture here. This is actually the one of the ones he found. And I don't know if you can see it, but uh, it's missing a lot of pieces up here. And he said what this actually said, this was here, you see there's no face missing. So he drew a little smiley face up here. This is actually his drawing. He drew a little smiley face with a knife up here and drew this little man down here. And he says, this is Abraham sacrificing Isaac on the altar. And just like we know from the Bible stories. And so and this whole story was a lost book of Abraham. And, and that's actually, uh, in the Mormon religion, they still read this to this day. It's still a part of their books called The Pearl of Great Price. And uh, it comes out later on that it had nothing to do with Abraham or anybody. It was actually a funeral rite um, of passage. Um, it's actually called a breathing permit, allowing him to go to the afterlife. So this Egyptian guy. So it had nothing to do with Abraham. But until, I mean, he couldn't have told him anything otherwise. Nobody could tell. Nobody knew. It wasn't until later on that those things um, ended up being, becoming known, which is kind of fun. So it was, it was totally unknowable. Um, so ancient Egypt, as after that, as after we get the Rosetta Stone, we can go back and we can read. There was a lot of information that they had. We just didn't know what they said. And so some of them were in Demotic and some of them were in hieroglyphics. And the hieroglyphics one, you see a bird, you can say, well, I guess it's a, you know, it's a flying, they tried, but they didn't do a very good job. Um, but now that after that was done, we could go back and all these old documents that were garage sale relics are now worth lots and lots of money because of what they contain and what they say. But what we do know about the ancient Egyptians is they were a polytheistic people, which means they had lots of gods. They had a, a god for everything. In fact, every tiny little portion of their life they attributed to a god helping them or praying for them. I got wrote down some of the fun ones. So uh, Gengen Wur was the celestial goose, and he was, a, he was the god of artistic expression and he laid an egg that where all the life force of all the world came. So silly, silly stuff like that. And so if you wanted to have extra artistic expression, you would ask Gengen Wur to you know, bless your art or whatever. Um, Imset was the god of broken hearts. Well, that's a pretty sad god. So if you had a broken heart, you had to pray to him if you wanted to get better. Nefertem was the god of perfume. So if you wanted some really nice perfume, you had to, you know, be on good terms with him, because if your perfume stank, you know, you'd be in trouble. Uh, or Bess is the god of fun. So if you, want, if you weren't having any fun, then Bess wasn't, wasn't in your life, and you sure had to, you know, pray a little harder next time. Dua is the god of toilets. If your toilet bathroom, it, literally, if your bathroom was clean, that was, his, that was his responsibility. So if your bathroom was dirty, you know, you know why. 
Uh, there's the God of noses of the dead. So Kenti Kas is the God of, he took care of the noses of dead people. So if you died, the guy who protected your nose was this particular God. And I'm not sure what that was for. It probably be a sacred thing to them. But there's a God of fabric. God of, there's a God for everything. And so, and what ended up happening is it, it, that extended to the Pharaoh. You know the fair story of the Pharaoh in the Bible? The Pharaoh was just the leader of Egypt, and they were seen as a god as well. And so they helped the other gods do their thing. So you needed the blessing of the god, and if the Pharaoh was mad at you, well, then he could just, you can, you can veto that. You know, nope, no clean bathroom for you today, you know. So they had to pray to these gods, they give them offerings and sacrifices, they do all kinds of little things in order to have a little bit extra, you know, oomph to, of course, their most important gods are always their god of agriculture, god of, you know, the provision for them, and we're going to go over those as we get to the 12 plagues. Um, but to, for them, they had a whole thing called Mahat, which was the order of all the cosmos, and that was what you wanted to have was order, and evil was chaos, but things are just random and um, all over the place and you wouldn't be able to know anything that was going on. So if you wanted to make sense of things, you had to give to these gods who would bring order. They'd clean your bathrooms, they'd make your nose okay, they'd give you good perfume and, and all these other types of things. And the Pharaoh, again, was an, an intermediary. He was kind of the spokesperson and also a deity himself that helped these things to happen. And of course, they had a huge emphasis on the afterlife. That's what we hear a lot of in our movies with the mummification. They were the, actually the first to do things like that. Most people, up until the point the Egyptians came along, um, they were cremated. So the idea of preserving the body to last forever and ever was uh, very unusual uh, in their time. And they had to do a certain thing. They had to pull all their organs out of their nose um, and put them in jars because you know your liver is happiness. And if your liver is happy, then you'll be all right. So you had your liver around with gold and silver and things, so your liver would be nice and happy. And then they had to wrap your body a very certain way. It took like 40 days for your body to dry out. And, and they believed you could only take the things with you that you had around during this process, which is why the pharaohs, you hear about all these tomb raiders, you know, that would steal things from these tombs because they would have, they didn't have, you know, gold. They wouldn't have any money in the afterlife. They didn't have women with them. They'd be alone. You know, they had to have all these different things, tools, there's games, weapons, and they weren't sure who they would, might need, so they just kind of gave them all kinds of stuff. <clears throat> so, yeah, so they were very centered on, on the afterlife. It was very important to them, and which is, of course, why we have so much interesting information about them, because we find their mummies, and we dig them up and take away other fun games and their fun tools, and we get to study them, and... But again, we didn't know a lot of what they said until in the last 200 years that we started to be able to actually read these things. So there was always lots of gods that were more popular, less popular. Like I said, they had about 1,500 gods when I was doing some of the research for this. It's just a huge list, and a lot of them, they don't know anything about them. And then even now, even because we can read these old documents, there's still a whole lot missing. Like I said, from the first era, there's nothing. There's not a single written word that survives from, from ancient Egypt. So we don't, a lot of it is just kind of guesswork and we don't really know, but a decent portion we're able to put back together. And th that brings us all the way down to the time of uh, Pharaoh in the Bible. 
And there's been quite a bit of debate about which pharaoh this is. Um, Idias have decided that there wasn't a pharaoh like that. There was no pharaoh that, you know, had this exodus of Egyptians or uh, Hebrews from Israel or, or from Egypt and all this time. Um, but there's a gentleman called David Roll who realized that everybody's probably been looking 200 years too late. And it was probably 200 years earlier. And uh, it's a kind of a controversial work, but he, anyways, the dating comes back down to about 1800 BC going off of his records, which is, uh, you know, I guess one, one's as good as the next. Um, but I guess it's important to start with uh, the Nile. The, the Egyptians believed that all life came from the Nile. All people came from the Nile. All animals came from the Nile. Every bit of life came out of the Nile. The Nile was really important um, because if you know Egypt, it's a desert. It's literally a desert. And you think about them growing crops, and even you think about today, you think, how could they ever grow crops there? And the most important thing that happened once a year was they had a monsoon season that would happen, and the Nile River would flood. And uh, silt and fertile soil from the, all over the place would flood up, and the banks would overflow, and it would deposit this fertile dirt all over the whole land, and that became what they grew their crops in, which is where that's why it was so important to them. So a good portion of their gods are related to the Nile or um, provision for their crops, the sun for growing their crops. And, and like I said, the uh, most important gods they had were for their provision. So uh, the main two gods that controlled the Nile was Hapi and Osiri. And um, they were, Hapi was the god of the flooding at all. So if you didn't you know, sacrifice to her and everybody didn't give her a good you know, gifts and all that, then there wouldn't be a good flood that year, and then the crops wouldn't be very good the, that following year. So um, the other one was Osiris, which is the god of fertility. There's a cycle of rebirth, agriculture, kind of all those blessings, all in the same vein. They had a lot of, lot of gods about agriculture, a lot of gods about crops and those types of things, which is why <clears throat> there's a verse... You know, what's interesting is in the Bible, um, God said he wasn't going to just judge Pharaoh. He wasn't just going to set his people free. He said that he came, he was going to judge the gods of Egypt, which is an interesting, uh, the way he worded it is interesting. So the verse here is uh, in Exodus 12, 12. It says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down, excuse me, every firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And we have it again in Numbers 33, that they, he judged all the gods of Egypt. And I think that's interesting because they weren't real gods, right? There's no god of perfume. There's no god of clean bathrooms. So, I mean, it's possible that some of them maybe were demons or something, but as a general rule, they were not real gods, right? And so, so for God to say, I'm gonna judge those gods, you know, what is he, why would he do that? And in reality, it comes back down to another place. He says uh, to Pharaoh, I raised you up, Pharaoh, for this purpose so that the whole world would know my name and all the nations proclaim my name. So when he says he's judging the gods, he is judging those gods. He's insulting those gods because God is a jealous God. But it's for the people, right? It's for, it's for the ones who were there to see that he is the real God. He's the real provider. And, and especially when you have Pharaoh, who's the intermediary, and the same thing, if Hopi was the god of flooding, if Pharaoh didn't like it, if he didn't pay enough taxes, 
then he could, well, well, no flooding for you. If the flooding was good, of course, he would say, well, of course, I, I blessed you guys this time. And if it was bad, he would make up some story or the otherwise. But so the plague started. And so each plague, a lot of times, you might have thought that they were just random, terrible events. Uh, but in all these places, they were actually specific to their gods. It would have been insulting even to them for this way. So, well, you know, the first plague, for instance, was the plague of blood. You remember Moses uh, turned the Nile into blood. And it said all the fish died. It was polluted. Um, that was where they watered all of the crops. And so they didn't have, for all of a sudden, the Nile, which is their entire source of provision, uh, was completely unusable. Um, no one's going to water their crops with blood, you know. And the, like I said, if the fish died, it's probably not that good for plants in general. And it said they had to dig along the Nile to get some sort of clean water uh, that they could still drink. <clears throat> and again, that was the, the, the two gods, was Hapi and Siri. And that would have been a direct judgment on them. If their job is to make the Nile fertile and have a cycle of rebirth and blessing, and all of a sudden it turns to blood and stinks and all the fish die, that's kind of, uh, that's very damning to their gods. So it doesn't matter how good your gift was, you know. And of course, in front of all this is this man Moses who's telling them this is going to happen. This isn't just some random event. There's this man standing there. And especially consider that since Pharaoh is supposed to be the intermediary between the gods here, and he's supposed to speak for those gods, here you have some random guy come up to you and turn everything you do on its head and actually undo the things you're supposed to be doing. And uh, it's, it's an insult not only to their gods, but to him as one of their gods as well. So the next plague would have been the plague of frogs from Exodus 8. And uh, I never know this, but frog was apparently to the Egyptians was a symbol of fertility. It might be an egg or a chicken or a rabbit or something to us, but to them it was a frog was a symbol of fertility. Because again, the Nile was sacred to them. So anything that came out of the Nile was sacred and amazing. And so if frogs are coming out, then they're great. And of course, what happened in the plague of frogs? It's their symbol of fertility. They're actually, the god Heket looked like a frog. It was a woman with a frog head. And, uh, of course, all the frogs come up, and they're all over the place. And they, the plague comes, and they're going to go into their palaces, on your bed, your houses, your officials. They're going to be on all of you. And these wonderful things that are supposed to be so blessed to you guys, you're going to be so, so sick of them by the time you know, I'm done. And then what happens afterwards? They die and there's piles of rotting frogs all over the place. I don't know that it stayed a symbol of pure fertility you know, at that point, and that would have been a ter terrible situation to be in. And again, super embarrassing when they're sacrificing to this woman frog god uh, of fertility. What kind of symbol does it mean when all the frogs die? You know, that's not a very fertile sign. After that was the gnats. And the Nats is a little bit of a hard one. So they did have a god called Geb, which is the god of the earth, and not earth like earth, but earth as in, you know, soil, earth. And it said uh, he would strike the dust of the ground and the dust would become gnats. And so there's, again, there maybe there was a god of gnats or there was some other god that was more specific to it, uh, but I, I couldn't find one that was perfectly identified with gnats. Um, but what's interesting is we start to see a pattern with these um, plagues. 
So there's three sets of three. And so they start off with two that God gives warnings for. In this case, it was the plague of blood and the plague of frogs. And it ends with the plague of gnats, which was what there was no warning for. It just happened. You know, when, Moses, when Pharaoh didn't listen, he just said, just do it. And then after that, it was the flies, the dead livestock, and the boils. Same thing. The first two, they had warnings for. And the last one, there was no warning for. And the same thing with the hail, locusts, and the darkness. There's a, there's a pattern following here of each one getting a little more severe. And then the topic kind of changes a little bit. So it's like, first he says, okay, the Nile's going to be blood. You can't drink it. And then there's going to be death coming out of the Nile. And then we have the gnats, which... Um, is, that's a hard one. So I don't know why gnats are, gnats are obviously terrible, um, but it would have been very, I'm sure it was embarrassing to them. And again, Geb, the God of the earth, was supposed to protect them, protect the dust of the earth. And uh, I also think it's interesting, kind of, an, I don't know if that was God's point, but the dust of the ground is what he made man out of. And then the dust of the ground is now turned into gnats, which is a symbol of death and decay and you know, maybe a symbol of sin and what they were going through. <clears throat> Okay, so after the gnats, then you have the flies. So the, um, Kerpi is the Egyptian god who has a head of a fly. And he's not really god of just flies, but god of all the... Uh, they were the ones you prayed to whenever your crops were going to be blessed. Uh, but he did have the head of a fly. And this is kind of the beginning, the next set of three, uh, the next set of plagues. So this is the first one that actually inflicts actual damage on the land. It says that the land was ruined by the flies. So they probably were biting, they probably were um, eating some crops, and it, I'm not sure exactly what the Bible means when it says that the land was ruined by them. Um, but it was the first one that actually had a punishment on not just an insult, you know, not just the, the river turning to blood or the frogs being annoying or the gnats being annoying. This is where you start to see damage actually happening to the land of Egypt. <clears throat> and this is also the first time that God does something different, where, again, as, as Pharaoh is supposed to be the one protecting his people from these terrible things, um, this is the first time that God actually, Moses speaks to God and he protects the children of Israel separately. So the flies did not come on anybody who was from the land of Israel or from Goshen where they were staying. Um, it was only the Egyptians. And this would have been something they would have been like, you know, whoa, you know, it would have been a different deal for them. And of course, to somebody that you know, worships somebody who looks like a fly, it's probably very disconcerting, you know, to have flies everywhere when they're literally praying to somebody who's supposed to protect them from flies and they have flies and they can't get rid of them. And meanwhile, there's this man who's basically spitting in the face of all their gods and he's allowed to live and to continue doing it. So... Yeah, so this is the first time it's a new set and it's going to continue to escalate and continue to affect the land. <clears throat> and again, this is supposed to be the Pharaoh's job. The job, Pharaoh's supposed to stop these types of things from happening and he's powerless. In fact, he's part of it as well. So after the flies is a direct plague on the livestock and Apis was the god of livestock to the Egyptians. So they would sacrifice to him or pray to him if they wanted their livestock to live long or to be blessed or to have lots of offspring. 
and this plague where all the livestock die continues to um, have a monetary effect. That's what they get their food from. That's where they get their clothing, their, their trade. And so it's starting to definitely, it can, first as it helps the land, affects the land a little bit. Now it's starting to affect the land a lot more. And once again, it didn't affect the livestock of the Israelites. So uh, their God of livestock couldn't protect them. Uh, but of course, the God of the universe could, didn't even, he just did it, right? Didn't have to sacrifice to him. You didn't have to bribe him. You know, he just protected them. Because again, he's judging the gods of Egypt. He's showing himself to the world. <clears throat> After the plague of livestock, you have uh, the plague of boils. So Isis is the god of medicine and peace, and Sekhmet is the goddess of epidemics. So you would pray to her to keep everything from being sick and everybody getting a big epidemic. And uh, Isis was supposed to make everything all peace and you have medicine that can heal everything. Um, and this is also, again, directly harming the people. Like the people are literally suffering as a result of these boils. It also was, you've heard of, you know, in the Bible, they had lep leprosy, everything was leprosy back then. And of course, boils was a sign of leprosy. Anything that was wrong with the skin, they consider you a leper. It doesn't mean you actually had actual leprosy. But anything that was wrong would call leprosy. So all these guys are supposed to keep them medicine, peace, the goddess of academic. And now the people are literally leprous, so to speak. They were literally unclean throughout their whole, their whole nation. Cleanliness was one of their biggest bugaboos. Like being clean was very important. They were the ones that had civilized toilets and a god of toilet cleaning. And so it was a very important deal. So it would break out in boils as seen as an unclean thing was spitting in the face of, of, their, of their culture. And all of a sudden, they're all unclean. And this is the one where you see the magicians. A couple of times, the magicians, they're able to reproduce these, some of these things, and sometimes not. This is the last time you see the magicians. You don't see any magicians after the boils. It says they couldn't stand before Moses. And you never see him in the story. And again, there's no more magicians coming out. So I don't know if Pharaoh killed them at that point, or he was, uh, they were just fed up with it. They're like, I'm, I'm, I'm out after something like this. I don't want any more part of it. Um, and of course, of course, it didn't happen. The only people that were still standing before Pharaoh was Aaron and Moses, you know, the two uh, apostles of God. I'm going to burn through these too fast here. I guess I'm doing all right. So after that, we had the plague of hail and thunder. A lot of times, I didn't realize that the thunder had a prevalent place. It was probably causing fires as well. Um, and there were several gods that were been judged by that. There was Nut, which is the Egyptian goddess of the sky. Seth is the god of storms. Shu is the god of the atmosphere. They had a god for everything. They had five gods for the sky. They don't know whose job it is, but it was one of those guys. You know, and, all, and either way, hail was so bad. You know, what, what did God say? He said, I will send the full force of my plagues against you and your officials and your people so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Um, name is something we hear a lot, like the name of God. Um, but in both Hebrew and Greek, the word name is more properly its reputation. So when we think of name, we think of a label that we have. And so we think about what's God's name. We've got to write his name down, right? But in reality, the name of God is who he was. 
is his reputation. And so when he says that my name would be known in all of the earth, he's not saying you need to know, you know, Yahweh. You know, that's not what he was saying. It wasn't a label. It was that he is the God of all these things. He's the God that protects you. You guys are walling around in the dirt, playing gods, and in reality, you're, you're missing me. And, and again, the mercy in that, you know, he could have just killed them all. You know, I saw him in Gomorrah, he wiped him off the earth. And here he gives a chance, and you'll see little places here where I'll point out where he's doing it for the people. He doesn't really want to judge the God of the fly. The point of judging these gods is to show them that their gods aren't gods at all. They can't save them, they can't protect them, they can't take care of them. And this is the first plague with the hail that some Egyptians are kind of sort of allowed to convert. You know, he tells them, all you people, hey, if you, if you fear the warning of the Lord, you should bring in your people now, bring in your livestock, bring in your, your stuff because this hail is going to attack everybody. And of course, some did. And it says the ones that did bring in their, their slaves and their, their animals, they were protected. That, didn't, of course, didn't happen because they believed him. And of course, what is this doing? This is turning the people from their gods to the one true God to the point when they finally flee Israel or flee Egypt, they give them all their gold. They're like, hey, we love you guys. You're great. Get the heck out of here. You know, and uh, so they had great fear and respect for the Lord. They at least knew who his name was, right? So the two crops that said that the hail got was the flax and the barley. It said the wheat didn't ripen until later, so the hail didn't get the wheat. And generally, the flax and barley was something they used and made clothes out of. It wasn't something that they, it wasn't their primary food stock. They could have eaten it, uh, but generally they used it as a textile industry. And so this is, again, slowly starting to affect them monetarily, protecting their provision. This is their clothes. And, uh, and again, every chance, he's given them a chance. And what's funny, it's always the morning, right? He always says, when is this going to happen? Tomorrow. And so Moses would go in there the next day and everything would be gone. And he'd be like, all right, what are we going to do today? And uh, it reminded me of the verse that uh, his mercies are made new every morning. And he, every morning, Pharaoh had a chance to repent, to honor God, to let the people go. We can talk about the whole hardening of the heart. We probably will in a little bit. But um, yeah, so after that, it becomes the locusts. And that's uh, God Sirius was the god of clops. Serapia was the protector of the crops. And this one does get the wheat. This one gets all the food. It eats everything. So first he takes away their clothing and any food they had. They got their, their the cattle, their livestock. The flies were eating probably some of the crops. And now we have uh, the wheat getting eaten. Um, all of it gone. And it says that God said this would be so bad they would be telling their sons and their sons' sons of this plague of locusts. Never would there ever be a plague like locusts like this ever again. It says the ground was black with them. We've had that out here a couple times, but not that bad. But I've seen a couple areas where they get kind of black. Um, so again, it's interesting again that he's, he's cutting them off little by little, whereas it's just insults. And he's like, if you just don't do it, it's going to get worse for you, worse for you. It's going to affect your money. It's going to affect your livestock, your people, and then your food. And until, of course, it gets all the way to the firstborn where their people are actually dying. And of course, every chance they have an opportunity to repent, but they don't. Um, which brings in the plague of darkness. And the darkness would have been the scariest one for them because 
while there was lots of little gods here and there, and they're like, did you pray to this god today? No, no, I prayed to this god today. And uh, they had, like I said, so many gods, and some of them rose and fell out of popularity, but the one god that they universally worshiped, everybody did, was Ra, the sun god. And that was, of course, responsible for all the growing of crops, of their light, um, and it was the, by far the largest god in the Egyptian um, religion. And of course, what happens? They're in total blackness. It says they couldn't even see their hand in front of their face. That's not like nighttime. That is like some serious clouds of darkness, you know? And think about how scary that would be. We've all been in the dark, but imagine so dark that you literally can't see anything. And again, in Goshen, where the Israelites were, they had light. How does that work? I have no idea. Uh, but it would have been a fun thing to be a part of, I think, you know? And, and to them, uh, and of course, Ra was their God because, you know, the sun gives you light and it takes, it watches over you, warmth. And of course, to them, darkness was judgment. It was death, hopelessness. It was sadness. It was a curse. And so to have three days of darkness, complete darkness, would have been the most religious significant event probably to Egyptians across the board. Uh, maybe they didn't all know who the God of Flies was, but they, they knew who the God of the Sun was. And if it was in total blackness, they would have seen it as a total rebuke of, of their greatest God. And of course, that's the, the, the third set, the most extreme case of, of, their, of that third set. There's no warning for that. It was unannounced. It just all of a sudden was, it was dark. And then, of course, followed by the plague of the firstborn, which would have been the most, of course, devastating uh, plague that they had. A um, couple gods uh, could have been talking about is Haget, which is the goddess of birth. Uh, Min is the god of reproduction. Any more? Like any more on here? So, um, so yeah. So the first plague of the firstborn, and of course, that's important to Pharaoh too, because who was going to be Pharaoh after he was Pharaoh? It was going to be his son. And of course, as he was going to be somebody who was supposed to be an intercessor to, between man and the gods, and now he's totally failed, right? He's not only is not able to protect them from all these bad things, he can't even protect his own son from, these, from this terrible plague of God, of which he could have turned from, you know? He could have just let them go. I'm just going to read here. This is the one in Numbers 33. It says, They marched out defiantly in full view of the Egyptians who were all bearing their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, for the Lord had brought judgment upon all of their gods. So that's probably a pretty somber situation to, to be in for them. And, uh, and of course, that became Passover. And, and we, don't, we know that that was uh, what Jesus did by his blood of the Lamb. Um, we weren't in, he was in darkness for three days and three nights, and then, you know, God gave up his firstborn to, you know, redeem us. And of course, the Israelites didn't lose anybody. It said not even a dog would bark throughout all, the, all of this. And of course, Pharaoh does let them go, but he, what did he do? He comes right back after them and, you know, chases them down, and he ends up dying too. So, you know, not only his son died, he died. Um, and the whole, the whole thing was, was a wash to them. So just some interesting tidbits. Um, four times God prophesies that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And I was, sometimes you might think, I, I think, you know, is, was that unfair? Was, that's not fair to, 
to Pharaoh if it's, he had no choice, if God made his heart harden, and yet God can harden, it says in you know, the New Testament, he can harden those he wants to harden and soften those he wants to soften. And of course, what was his purpose? His purpose was to show the whole world his name, and he still gave him a chance to come back. It says six times, six of the times God actually did harden his heart. Uh, five times, he doesn't mention anything about his heart and being heart, hardened, and three times Pharaoh hardened his own heart you know, against it. So regardless of how it ends up, God used Pharaoh. God says, I raised you up for this purpose. And of course, he could have just killed them all, right? He could have just killed them all and that would have been done. But instead, he gives the Egyptians the full view and these plagues become known every time Israel gets in trouble. That's the first thing the other nations say, whoa, we heard about all the plagues. We don't want any of that. And so they try to be, you know, friends with Israel and all those types of things. Um... Mercies are new every morning. Talked about that a little bit. Um, when the officials would heed the warning of God, God would also spare them. It says the officials that were afraid, they, they honored him. But then later on it says that the officials hardened their hearts. And so you know, they ended up getting right back into it again. And at some points, a couple places, Moses or a Pharaoh tries to continue to do what he's supposedly supposed to do as be the intermediary between man and the gods. And so I think he, in place he's trying to like even flex his muscle against God himself because several times it's like, oh, okay, you want to go sacrifice? Well, how about you sacrifice over there? And you just go right over there and you sacrifice. And like, no, no, we want to go over here. And he's like, nope, sorry. And then there's more plagues come. And he says, okay, well, how about just you and your men go? No kids, no kids. Because uh, he's trying to still exert his control over being the one that makes these things happen. And of course, you know, nope, that's not going to happen. Or how about you go, but you don't take your animals. We, I'm probably at this point, they needed his animals. You know, they didn't have any left. So you leave your animals behind and you can go worship in the desert. But so it, it's, it's a pretty amazing story. And um, there was many other gods that they worshiped. Uh, but he could have, again, just wiped them out. But instead he chose to affect them in the ways of their gods to make, again, like the darkness. It's just would have been so crushing to their faith if they even had faith. It's kind of hard to, when you pray to someone for cleaning your bathrooms, it's kind of hard to imagine what that's actually like in our, our daily life. Um, but imagine being blown here and there and whenever things were bad, oh, I forgot, I must have forgot to pray. Who did I forget to pray to today? And uh, it's just really sad. But Well, I think I burned through this a little faster than I wanted to. Anybody got anything they want to add? Or something I didn't mention? I hate to let you go 20 minutes early. Well. So yeah, it's, I found the whole thing, I, I had known about the Joseph Smith thing for a while, and it, he was just really a charlatan telling everybody he knew how to read all these um, documents. In reality, he didn't know any of them. And of course, that's what his claim to fame was, that you know, he, he read all these Egyptian manuscripts that said that um, Jesus went to Native America and witnessed to the Indians and, and all these very bizarre things that, of course, nobody can prove. And they use, he used things like this. you know. And it's funny because the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, they actually recognized that, yeah, he was wrong. 
about this. They tried to hide it for a long time. This particular picture was, was held by his mother at one point and nobody knew where it was and somebody got it somewhere and it leaked it out and I find this little smiley face drawing that's supposed to be Abraham up here, just the most hilarious thing, you know, to find this ancient artifact that we would, you know, if you found some sort of a fossil, you wouldn't just graffiti it up, you know, but that's the first thing he does is, you know, I'll fix it, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write in, you know, draw Abraham on here, which is really, really sad. And of course, he says Abraham said all these other weird things that he didn't say. And there's a whole book called The Lost Book of Abraham of all these other stories about, you know, Joseph Smith is going to find this magical golden book and it's going to be great. And, you know, and of course, he had nothing to do with any of that. But. So, yep, I think that's probably pretty much it. I hate to set you guys free, but I'm out of material. <laughs> probably shouldn't have talked so fast, probably a little nervous, but I guess we could pray again, right? That's always good. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time, and uh, we just thank you that you are a real God. How sad it must have been to be in darkness and to not know which way was up or who to pray to when you made your name known to all those people and gave them an opportunity to turn to the living God. And I thank you for those that did. And I thank you that this religion is so ancient and washed up that there's not a single soul on earth that honors any of these gods anymore. And may all other religions be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.